it's important to point out that men have been the underrepresented minority in higher education for the last 40 years. The Federal Department of Education is investigating a complaint filed by U of M Flint professor Mark J. Perry, alleging that the University of Michigan discriminates against men. In May of 2018, the professor filed a complaint challenging 11 different university programs, initiatives, organizations, and scholarships at U of M Ann Arbor. Some of them included Girls in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, the Barber Scholarship, the AUK Initiative for Women in Finance, and Women in Science and Engineering. What boy wants to go to a girls camp, just like what girl would want to go to a boys summer STEM camp. So it's kind of like we have to end this fake, you know, uh, gender inclusivity and just admit that we're discriminating against boys. And we really just have to stop doing that because it's illegal. I'm your host, Katherine Newhan. This story and more on this week's episode of The Daily Weekly. U of M Flint professor of economics Mark J. Perry believes female-centric programs violate the state of Michigan's constitution, the university's non-discrimination policy, and Title IX. We called him so that he would tell us why he was prompted to file this complaint and what the specifics of his claim entail. Well, you know, I've been on kind of a, a mission for three or four years now to try to you know, advocate for greater gender equality in higher education. And what I've realized as a professor now for more than 25 years and 20 years at U- University of Michigan in Flint is that um, Title IX, which uh, prohibits gender discrimination under any conditions or circumstances, is often just kind of overlooked. I mean, they apply it when there's discrimination against female faculty or students, but then when it comes to male faculty or students, they often just Title IX or actually, you know, violate Title IX. And so as I've kind of, um, you know, worked um, in higher education for a long time, I realized that there's this kind of blind spot for gender discrimination and this kind of double standard where no discrimination against women is ever tolerated, but discrimination against men is not only tolerated, but often promoted and advanced. Mark described that he was surprised when he found out that Michigan State University had a female-only room in their union building. Then he looked at his own university, U of M Flint, and realized he was not eligible to apply for all the allotted awards for faculty. And on the Flint campus, I realized that every year there were 11 uh, faculty awards that are cash awards plus um, teaching time release. And of the 11 awards, I was only eligible to apply for um, uh, six of them. And five I couldn't apply for because three were for female faculty only which again was a violation of Title IX, a violation of the Michigan Constitution, a violation of Michigan's own statement of non-discrimination. And then there was two um, awards that were for minority faculty only, which are also a violation of not Title IX, but of the Michigan Constitution and actually, I guess, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. In that case, they agreed with me. And the three faculty, female faculty awards were open to all faculty and the two minority-only faculty awards were open to all faculty. And so I kind of felt that I was, um, you know, making progress in trying to make sure that Title IX was applied consistently without some kind of 
double standard. And then shortly after that, then on the front campus, the science faculty designed and implemented and started to advertise and promote a program called the Girls in Engineering, Math, and Science Program, the GEMS Summer Camp. And they started advertising it. It was for girls only. So it was a single gender, girl only camp, no boys allowed. Clearly a violation of Title IX. It violates the civil rights of half of the relevant population in Genesee County, where Flint's located. Um, and treats them as a second class citizens and denies them to the same educational opportunities that their, you know, female counterparts um, are enjoying. So he files another complaint. And the regulations of the girls' summer camp are changed. Boys can now enroll and attend. But Mark wasn't satisfied. He wanted the name of the summer camp to change as well. And they wouldn't do that. So they still call it the girls' program, and they kind of pretend that boys can attend, but it's just kind of like what boy wants to go to a girls' summer camp. And so then I turned my attention towards um, a lot of the programs on the Ann Arbor campus where there's just a lot of, again, these legacy programs, um, maybe going back to the 50s and 60s when women did have a case that they were discriminated against. But it's important to point out that men have been the underrepresented minority in higher education for the last 40 years. So since 1979, men have been a majority, a minority gender in higher education. And so women have been very successful you know, to their credit. And so now they have been the majority uh, gender for 40 years or more, but yet we still have all of these programs and scholarships and fellowships and initiatives and awards and camps and clubs that act as if women are still facing a lot of gender barriers and that they, even though they're now the, they've been the majority gender for 40 years. And so then I tried to uh, work with the Ann Arbor Title IX office and I pointed out a series, a number of different programs that, that I felt were discriminatory and in violation of Title IX. It includes scholarships, fellowships, awards, summer camps, clubs, initiatives, fellowships, all sorts of different types of programs that are preferential towards female students or female faculty. Mark mentioned in an interview with the Michigan Daily that women are entering higher education with better qualifications than men in STEM fields. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, Economics, and Statistics Administration, only 24% of women hold jobs within the STEM field. When this information was presented to Mark, he had an explanation for how STEM fields are deciphered within statistics. Well, listen, here's, here's how I would explain it, is that it depends on how you define STEM for one thing. So, and for example, in certain STEM fields, women are overrepresented. So at Ann Arbor and throughout the country, women earn 60% of biology degrees. So they're overrepresented in biological sciences. Uh, women now earn about 50% of chemistry degrees. So there's no gender disparity there. Um, women are now a majority enrollment in Ann Arbor's medical school and the dental school. Women earn 80% of veterinary medicine degrees. Um, women earn about two-thirds of pharmacy degrees. And so, again, it depends on how you define STEM. Mark mentions that the majority of the women that are minorities in STEM fields exist within computer science or engineering. But he also has an explanation for why that might be the case as well. 
in terms of just one other statistic, in terms of computer science, so there's all of this national effort. We need more women in STEM. We need more women in computer science. Girls code, black girls code, Latina girls code, all of these coding camps and programs for girls. Back in the mid-1980s, when computer science was a developing field, something like 37% of the bachelor's degrees in computer science were going to women. But then it just kind of like over time, over the last 30 years or more, the women seem to have lost interest in computer science. And so now the share of uh, bachelor's degrees in computer science going to women has fallen and stabilized at about 18% for the last decade. They take more honors and, and AP classes than boys, so they have all of the background that they need. But maybe the 18 to 19% share of computer science degrees is just a natural outcome based on natural differences between the interest of men and women in, in educational outcomes. And so we keep thinking we want to get that higher than 19%, but maybe that's just like a form of, you know, you know like um, social engineering that we just think that women should be more interested in computer science than they really are. So maybe it's just a matter of letting men and women sort themselves out, go into the fields that really interest them, and then not be so concerned about gender disparities. Because if we're going to be concerned about a shortage of women in STEM, in certain STEM fields, then we should be concerned about the, the male underrepresentation in fields like elementary education and psychology and social work and nursing, and yet no one ever shows any concern about that underrepresentation when it goes the other way. We asked Mark whether he saw any positive benefit to having these clubs or organizations in middle school, high school, or higher education, and he did agree that there was a potential benefit. But he says that these programs and clubs that are geared towards only one gender cannot exist under Title IX policies. Of course, I see benefit in having programs like that that might be so that girls can study you know, coding, you know, separately from boys or something. But the, what, where we run into a problem is that, you know, in a theoretical world or in a world without Title IX, that might be fine to be able to have clubs and camps that, that cater to different groups based on gender or even race, like the Black Girls Code Camp, for example, that exists. But the problem we run into is that Title IX just doesn't allow for that. Mark says that he's received fairly positive feedback from filing these cases of discrimination and has received barely any backlash. Well, it's interesting because most of the reaction and the feedback I've gotten has been positive with people saying, I'm glad you're doing this. No one else is doing it. I've felt this way a long time. But it's just like I have gotten almost no negative feedback because it's kind of like to challenge what I'm suggesting you would have to challenge Title IX, and even most women's groups don't want to end Title IX. They like Title IX because it often helps them in certain ways. But, you know, so to argue against my position would be that you would have to be in favor of gender discrimination. Then you're taking a position that is illegal according to federal civil rights law. It's illegal according to the Michigan State Constitution. So it just seems like no one has come forward and said, well, yes, I disagree with you. We should be allowed to discriminate against men for these reasons, and this is why we want to maintain these programs. So to sure. attack me, I guess, would be to attack Title IX, and most people don't want to do that.
hi, I'm Barbara Sloat, and um, I am was the founding director of the U of M's Women in Science program. At that time, it was called Women in Science. It's then evolved into WISE, which is Women in Science and Engineering over time. And at the time, we were one of the very earliest universities in the country to try to kind of set up a group that could be supportive of uh, students, uh, students who wanted to go into science who, who were, were women. And at that time, in the early 1980s, there were very few women in any uh, engineering or science department uh, in LSNA at the university period. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about the process of creating WISE at university at the University of Michigan here. Yeah, well, the idea began really with the Academic Women's Caucus, which is a, a women's faculty group that started, I guess, in the 60s, probably. And in particular, there was a woman in mathematics and there was a woman in geology uh, at the time and one in chemistry who chatted about it and always talked about the idea of having uh, some some sort of support for young women um, interested in science. And at the time, uh, one of the vice presidents at the university happened to be a biologist, a man, and um, he was open to this idea. Uh, I think I've found in my career that you need to find a few people who are open to the idea and can start mm -hmm. kind of working mm -hmm. from that. And so. What happened eventually was that um, $25,000 was granted to this Academic Women's Caucus group uh, as a one-year sort of grant and, you know, do with it what you can. And if you can develop a program and raise your own money, um, then um, you can continue. But this is all we're going to give you. And so um, um, then they hired someone who happened to be me. I was doing research as well. So it was a, a part-time uh, obligation that I took on. Yeah, and so Mark Perry mentioned that the club was historically important, but that women are empowered now and no longer need clubs like WISE. In your experience, is that true? Well, first of all, we weren't a club, and we were not a membership. Um, I looked on, on online to see what he's talking about. We certainly, we certainly aren't members of of women in science, and we never were. I mean, it was just that we we were. Uh, I was a kind of a founding director. See if you can find money and support. And uh, I managed to find a few other women faculty around who were willing to sit down and say, let's do a program for incoming freshmen, fr fresh women, <laughs> incoming students who happen to be women uh, or men. Anybody could come, but we'll have a panel of women scientists talking. And so we were never a club of any kind. In fact, um, no one ever said that only women are welcome in the slightest uh, a keynote speaker at our first conference really was a professor of physics, a man, and uh, without the support of male scientists who were 90%, 95% of scientists, uh, we uh, we couldn't have started. We we so we there's no membership involved. Mm -hmm. Over time, it kind of we we started it at the Center for the Education of Women. Somebody had to give us a little office at the bottom of the stairs in the basement, <laughs> but then eventually ended up uh, at the School of Engineering. And 
and there's a women in science uh, sort of floor on one of the in one of the dormitories so that women who are majoring in science can kind of live near each other if they so choose um i think i think really you know when this started there were very few women faculty there was one in chemistry there were two in biology there was one woman in the entire school of engineering who was a female professor uh, I mean, I'm not kidding. That's how sparse mm-hmm. women were. And now that's changed. There are more women uh, role models, more more faculty. They've they've done a pretty good job of, you know, trying to be more diverse in hiring women and, and, and uh, African-Americans and whoever it happens to be. Um, women do need, um, they do need more um, encouragement and support. I, I believe than men do, and that starts really in elementary school. It starts at home in their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did we did some research uh, over time, and you know, parents out there in Southeast Michigan and whatever high school or junior high you're talking about, they they tend to kind of expect their boys to get good grades in math and science. And when a girl gets a good grade, it's usually like, oh, you must have really studied hard. You 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 must be really smart kind of in in this particular thing and so these expectations are embedded uh in our culture and uh when i you know teach i get a lot of students from korea and china and asia and, and these women are are they're they're really <laughs> there's tons of women in science in those areas and so it, it's it's part of the culture which is why we started this to encourage a young woman if she likes science to say to her yes you can do it so you do feel like there is still a benefit to having this organization focus on female or women in science um, because of the cultural and social um, uh, ideas of where women should be in terms of higher education. Yes, I think I think it still is personally, but I but I'm but I'm not, um, you know, I'm not I'm not. Yes, I do. Absolutely, I do. <laughs> Grace Kay, Managing News Editor at the Michigan Daily, has been reporting on this story. She's here to talk to us about what Title IX experts have been saying about Mark Perry's claims. I actually talked to uh, Title IX lawyer Deb Gordon. Um, She's been covering um, discrimination cases against the university for 40 years, before Title IX was even a thing. She said that in order to bring a case against the university like that, you have to have a complaint. Like, a, like someone who's complaining about it. In this case, it would have to be a student who feels that like they were mistreated in some way and weren't able to join the organizations. And he doesn't have, Mark Perry doesn't have anyone like that. It's just him. What happened after Mark Perry decided to file these claims against the university? What was the timeline on that? So within a month, um, Pamela Heatley, who was the former investigator, responded saying that they didn't find anything to back up his complaint. So that was in May, and then in June, he sent in a complaint to the Department of of Education. And basically what Deb Gordon said to me was that any like properly worded complaint to um, the Department of Education is investigated. Mm -hmm. So the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights investigates complaints like that. So what's being currently investigated now? Well, right now the Department of Education is still continuing to look into it. On January 24th, um, the DOE responded to 
um, his request that they investigate. So they're still looking into it. It's pretty recent. If you've talked to any of these women that are participants in these organizations, what do you think the response will be from them if this claim is substantiated? I think, um, at least for the women I talked to in STEM who benefit from some of the programs, like Wise Women in Science and Engineering that he's trying to get rid of, uh, it would definitely be detrimental because a lot of the those programs that are geared specifically towards women, even though they don't you know, cancel out men, um, provide much needed support, especially for women who make up only 25% of the population in STEM programs. So we talk a lot about the national statistics of women in higher education um, and, you know, how many women are in STEM, but what do the statistics look like here at the University of Michigan? Yeah, so the university released a report as a part of their diversity initiative Um, And some of it looked into gender, and it's actually pretty clear 50-50 spread out throughout the university. There are some programs that have more women and some programs that have more men. Um, Specifically, looking at the chart that Perry sent me, um, the programs that have more women are like SMTD or LSA. But then the programs that showed that there were a lot more men in them were Ross and engineering programs specifically, um, which showed like 25% of women, which is interesting to look at because the majors that you would typically associate with higher pay grades after graduation are actually the programs that are dominated by men. Hey, this is Shreya Dada from The Daily Weekly, and here is your weekly news roundup. On Monday night, Ann Arbor City Council passed a resolution encouraging members of the community to support the boycott of Wendy's. Although the resolution passed past, Councilmember Jane Lum had concerns about the boycott. For me, resolutions like this, uh, there need to be a direct, there needs to be a direct local connection. Other words, <coughs> otherwise it becomes more of a you know, political message and statement with all due respect to the, the sponsors. Um, and I, I do recognize that virtually all um, you know, political positions have a local impact in some way. Um, and we have another resolution uh, later on clean, the Clean Water Act and, and rules that demonstrates what I'm talking about. After free speech watchdog group Speech First filed a lawsuit against the University of Michigan last May, the university has restricted the housing staff, such as RA resident advisors and diversity peer educators, from removing speech from students' doors. This includes hate speech. The lawsuit was filed against the university's bias response team and accused the school of limiting students' abilities to express themselves freely. Since then, the university has attempted to show its commitment to the First Amendment by allowing more student expression. In the dormitories, this means no writings or postings can be removed from a student's door without the student's permission. On Monday, the university instituted a policy requiring faculty, including volunteers and visiting scholars, to report charges and convictions of felonies within a week of the charge, with possible action taken if reporting does not occur. The University Human Resources Department will look into all reports and take action in line with their current background check policy. Lorita Thomas, Associate Vice President of Human Resources, says that this comes in response to changes in higher education nationally to look and create a safer campus environment. 
In other news, President Mark Schlissel announced on Monday the creation of the Carbon Neutrality Commission, which will provide recommendations on reaching carbon neutrality and work with members on all three Michigan campuses to achieve these goals. The Climate Action Movement, a group on campus advocating for carbon neutrality, supports the university's attempts to reach carbon neutrality, but have concerns that this commission is similar to failed initiatives in the past, such as Schlissel's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Committee initiated four years ago. Today, I'm pleased to announce the formation of the President's Commission on Carbon Neutrality. The commission is designed to marshal the intellectual resources and commitment of the U of M community to contribute to a more sustainable and just world. We have set our sights very high. Commission members will engage broadly within the U of M community and with regional experts and partners. They will seek approaches and solutions on carbon emissions that create scalable and transferable models, not just for the university, but for the society we serve. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Daily Weekly. Again, I'm your host, Katherine Newhan. This episode was produced by audio engineer Ryan Cox, content creator Shreya Dada, assistant producer Yvonne Yao, associate producer Josh Sadikoff, and executive producer, Catherine Newhan.